Walking through a literary wasteland And boy, do my metaphorical feet hurt Maybe there's something stuck in my metaphorical boot Wait a second, what's this here? Well, it's a footnote Gonna tell you something that you maybe might want to know Yeah, it's a footnote you probably won't like it if you don't like the regular show. Take a little side quest for unnecessary context and enjoy this little, this little footnote with me. All right. Happy Interdependence Day, David Foster, Wallace fans. How are you doing? My name is Jesse Dram, and this is the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast, and you're in for a special, special treat. I've been threatening to do it for a while, but here we are, footnote episode number one, where we will be exploring David Foster Wallace's other, uh, you know, works, as he's obviously you know, pretty well known as an essayist. That would be the bulk of his work, especially as opposed to novels. And I feel like, why would it be... What sense does it make to just focus on Infinite Jest when there's so many essays to hate as well? I'm mostly kidding there. I've actually enjoyed his essays quite a bit, which is part of the reason I wanted to do this. And let's be honest, I wanted to make the podcast last a little bit longer because there are dozens and dozens of advertising dollars out there waiting for me and my niche David Foster Wallace super fan base that loves hearing about David Foster Wallace and will tolerate somebody making fun of him. Y'all are a lucrative, lucrative demographic. Let me tell you what. I might start making $18 an episode. Fuck. Fuck. I'm going to buy a diamond hat. That's what I'm going to do with that money right there. So, this episode for footnote one. Oh, I said, by the way, I said happy Interdependence Day. We are recording this July 5th, which I'm sure in the book there's an entirely different... It's it's a play on Independence Day. You, you get it. It's clever. Uh, we're recording this on July 5th. I have been away on vacation for a week, and I took a break from Infinite Jest, and I read some of the Brothers Karamazov, and oh, what a sweet, sweet opiate it was for my postmodern hating soul. It's so good. I just wanted to hear about Alyosha and Fyodor Karamazov and Stinking Stinking Liza Veda was there. My favorite. Guys, this is super fun because my guest this week has been just looking at me curiously for the two minutes and 13 seconds of this intro so far. Uh, my guest this week, she is a writer. She is a vegan. She is an activist and she looks really sexy in my motel hell cut off t-shirt she's wearing right now my girlfriend and yours miss perry lerner perry lerner welcome to the podcast hey man what's up okay getting off to a week start I'm gonna tell you now weeks she's very nervous about doing her first podcast ever so uh i'm gonna i'm gonna razz her great can't yeah. wait to do this. That's fine. Um, you are a big time reader, so why don't you tell us about your background and some of your thoughts on I Hate Infinite Jest and maybe, you know, shed some light on why I'm such a good boyfriend. Um, sure. My background as a person or as a reader? Whatever you like. You always do this to me. God. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> oh, I'm having too much fun. I cannot wait to break up immediately after this episode is done. It's fine. Um, well, I'm it's just... Interdependence Day. I'll, I'll be at a barbecue later today. I'm sure you will. Being interdependent. Social distancing and such. Catching COVID. Um, well, I grew up in Northeast Philly. Nice little Jewish girl. Uh, moved to Jersey, went to college, met a bunch of guys who liked Infinite Jess, and happened upon a guy 10 years later who very much did not like Infinite Jest, and here we are today. That's right, the, the rock upon which our relationship was built. Uh, the, the, she and I met on OkCupid, because we, we are millennials through and through, and uh, my friends don't get out much, and... <laughs> So, I wrote my entire first message to you was very much it was addressing your profile. Like, look, oh, this sounds fun. A drinking bourbon and like, you know, dancing around in our apartment in our underwear, which we're in right now. But you mentioned that you hated it. Like, if, if you like Infinite Jest, this just isn't going to work. And that was the crux of my first message. Is like, but, but the fact that you love that book, I could pop through the screen and kiss you right now. Yes, I think the actual term you used was materialize because, you know. Because that's a, a, a because after reading David Foster Wallace, that's a, that, that's a, a better word than just popping out. Agreed. Like, like some kind of fucking plebe. Yeah. Ugh. Well, um. Yeah, so you mentioned I uh, write. I went to school for journalism and political science. So I feel like I am absolutely in the position to hate on David Foster Wallace. (laughs) I feel like I'm there. And it's funny because the part we're listening to today, This Is Water, I am actually a fan of This Is Water. And it doesn't seem like you have softened to it at all. I told you I had, without getting into it too much for fear of not having anything to talk about on the podcast, um, I told you I had mixed feelings about it, and each time I listened, I liked him a little more, and I hated him a little more. Okay. I, th- I think that goes to show. That's yeah. something to be expected. What, what has been your... It, it was enough that you put it on your profile. What... What was your experience with David Foster Wallace lit bro types that you felt that it had to be something enough that had you put it in your like in your don't category like, you know, no smokers, no evangelicals, no lit bros. Well, I hate to generalize, but I will. That's the only thing we do here. I will absolutely generalize. Um, I just felt like. The people I had met who defended it in the past were people that I just didn't really want any intimate part of. Um, Very um, into their own intellect. Mm. um, Was often quoted to me. Um, There was actually this guy I dated in college who read to me Cormac McCarthy, which... Even as one of my favorite authors, that made my blood curdle. <laughs> and he also liked to read parts of Infinite Jest to me. And I was like, yeah, this is not going to work out for very long at all. Did it, did it bother you at all when I was reading Crime and Punishment and I read out that little section for you? about There, there was the character who's pretty much like the modern equivalent of like an ideagogue like liberal dude Pr- pretty much making the point that like even people you agree with are really fucking annoying yeah well bothered me in what sense 
the way somebody reading Cormac McCarthy to you did. It's not even like being read to. It's it's oh, this person feels the need to highlight this prose or this paragraph or relates to it in whatever reason for whatever reason and just kind of wants to like push it on me too. Mm. And I don't know. There's maybe they just wanted to share something they liked. Yeah. Maybe you were being stuck up. Maybe. I'm breaking up with you right now. All Continue. right. Sounds right. Um, no, it was just, I mean, this guy, you know me. I'm a huge talker. I don't know you. Continue. You don't know me. <laughs> huge talker. and oh, well, I'm a huge talker. And we would just sit around, get high off of his volcano, and I would sit there silent while he just, read and talked at me for hours volcano is a very lit bro weed smoking uh yeah apparatus yeah it is yeah I, I don't see somebody reading infinite jest and smoking out of an apple it was, it was very weird and every every time we'd we'd hang out he would uh you know kind of just pull apart our date and tell me what was going on in the middle of it and what we were yeah. trying to accomplish so i was so all of these things lended itself to why I was not interested in him, but I mean, I didn't simply write him off because of David Foster Wallace, but to me, he he pretty much embodied the uh, cliche of men, yes, men who like David Foster Wallace, and my one friend who is a girl but is kind of broy. Okay, so there you go. Well, what is your uh, literary taste then overall, if not David Foster Wallace? Well, um, I go through phases. Mm-hmm. I went through a huge gothic horror phase for a while. Then I got into a big modern horror phase. Now I'm actually really into teen, like young adult fantasy, which mm. is kind of new for me. Um, but I don't know. There's there's just something that the world is so crazy right now. There that. truly feels like escapism to me Mm, okay okay and it's easy it's easy to read and sometimes you just need a good page turner or a good adventure you know sometimes it's it's not always about challenging yourself as much as you can intellectually and Mm. to me that is kind of what david foster wallace is trying to do he's a challenge exactly okay All right, well, we are going to listen to this. I actually just realized something I should do here so I can edit a little easier. Bam, we're panned. We're panned to separate tracks. Um, I do not have the plug to uh, directly put the video audio, so I have a big speaker on my lap that we will be listening to This Is Water through, and yeah, we will be listening to it in its entirety and just pausing and stopping every now and again to discuss very right. high tech setup we have very high tech in this place uh quick background this is water this was recorded at the commencement speech for kenyan college graduating class of 2005 my high school graduation year wow what, you old i am i'm super old that means god i graduated from high school 15 years ago holy shit and i still count from high school because i never graduated from anywhere else yeah aside from yeah, county college doesn't count doesn't my my big fucking associate's degree Mm. all right let's listen to the man this is water everybody feels like perspiring 
<clears throat> I'd invite you to go ahead because I'm sure going to. In fact, I'm going to get it. Fumbling already. Thanks and congratulations to Kenyon's graduating class of 2005. There are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? <laughs> this is a standard requirement of US commencement speeches, the deployment of didactic little parable-ish stories. <laughs> the story thing turns out to be one of the better, less bullshitty conventions of the genre. But if you're worried that I plan to present myself here as the wise older fish explaining what water is to you younger fish, please don't be. I am not the wise old fish. Okay. Okay. So the genre, is he referring to the genre of college speeches? All right. I think you're being a little nitpicky already. Yeah, he is speaking of it as, as a genre, but it is it is a, a, a form of writing and performance that has its own tropes and cliches. Like, you know, they're, they're going to, somebody is going to read, oh, the places you'll go at some point. Not even a criticism, just kind of pointing out the DFW-ness of it. Mm. And let's let's continue while we listen to how... Well, I, I thought you did have the line in there of, you know, he said that I am no old wise I fish. I was literally about to say that if you didn't cut me off. <sighs> Breaking up with her, guys. I'm single if anybody has any lady friends <laughs> talking. Let's get back to this as well. Merely that the most obvious, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and talk about. Stated as an English sentence, of course, this is just a banal platitude. But the fact is that in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult existence, banal platitudes can have a life-or-death importance. Or so I wish to suggest to you on this dry and lovely morning. Of course, the main requirement of speeches like this is that I'm supposed to talk about your liberal arts education's meaning to try to explain why the degree you're about to receive has actual human value instead of just a material payoff. So let's talk about the single most pervasive cliche in the commencement speech genre, which is that a liberal arts education is not so much about filling you up with knowledge as it is about, quote, teaching you how to think. It's also about making sure you're unhirable and have no marketable skills. Continue like me as a student you've never liked hearing this and you tend to feel a bit insulted by the claim that you've needed anybody to teach you how to think since the fact that you even got admitted to a college this good seems like proof that you already know how to think but i'm going to posit to you that the liberal arts cliche turns out not to be insulting at all because the really significant education in thinking that we're supposed to get in a place like this isn't really about the capacity to think but rather about the choice of what to think about. If your total freedom of choice regarding what to think about seems too obvious to waste time discussing, I'd ask you to think about fish and water and to bracket for just a few minutes your skepticism about the value of the totally obvious. Here's another didactic little story. There are these two guys sitting together in a bar in the remote Alaskan wilderness. One of the guys is religious, the other's an atheist, and the two are arguing about the existence of God with that special intensity that comes after about the fourth beer. 
And the atheist says, look, it's not like I don't have actual reasons for not believing in God. It's not like I haven't ever experimented with the whole God and prayer thing. Just last month, I got caught away from camp in that terrible blizzard, and I was totally lost, and I couldn't see a thing, and it was 50 below. And so I tried it. I fell to my knees in the snow and cried out, oh God, if there is a God, I'm lost in this blizzard, and I'm going to die if you don't help me. And now, in the bar, the religious guy looks at the atheist all puzzled. Well, then you must believe now, he says. After all, here you are, alive. The atheist just rolls his eyes. No, man, all that was was a couple Eskimos happened to come wandering by, and they showed me the way back to camp. So we have it right there. Um, Eskimos, not appropriate term, and uh, they have no willpower of their own, and apparently they're just migratory birds. And David Foster Wallace is where I'm fucking around. I think that's a fine little story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, man, I just think that, like, it is interesting to tell a bunch of graduates that what they were learning in academics wasn't the ultimate goal of college, but that it was about learning how to think in the real world because well i i I, I wouldn't take that so personally from him because i have heard that being like the doctrine of liberal arts college being like you know we we turn children into real adult people like it's it's less than you know any kind of that's one of the big criticisms of liberal arts colleges it actually wasn't a criticism against him and i wasn't even referring to taking it personally i was saying that it was interesting to bring it up to people who had just graduated because i'm curious as to how they would feel about that versus just entering college and being armed with that information. Because you might go through college a little differently if you think about it on that kind of plane. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really why I I bring that up. Okay, okay. Have you ever had any... uh really in-depth atheist conversations like that I, I i relate to that a lot the fourth beer is right around the right beer for that that's right around the time me and neil will start going at it like well, there's probably something you know right watch watch this video of a squirrel i don't think i have so much because i feel like i'm usually hovering in the middle mm. i mean and i feel like you kind of know this with a lot of the beliefs that we've talked about mm-hmm. um But I can kind of understand both sides of it because certain things make me think there is something bigger going on and other things are like, yeah, I kind of just think this is it and it's finite and, you know, that's okay. So you were also raised Jewish, so you guys don't have quite as much of the heaven stuff, the heaven and punishment type thing. Yeah, you got to be real bad in Judaism to like, you know, go to quote unquote hell. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ignore all my reflexes to make a joke there because there will no way it will be any good. Good job, baby. Not for. Thank you. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. All right. Let's go back to this is water. Run the story through a kind of standard liberal arts analysis. The exact same experience can mean two totally different things to two different people, given those people's two different belief templates and two different ways of constructing meaning from experience. Because we prize tolerance and diversity of belief, 
Nowhere in our liberal arts analysis do we want to claim that one guy's interpretation is true and the other guy's is false or bad. So I think what he's getting at is more Eskimos should have liberal arts educations. Continue. Except we also never end up talking about just where these individual templates and beliefs come from, meaning where they come from inside the two guys. As if a person's most basic orientation toward the world and the meaning of... He just said, come inside two guys, and I just wanted to point that out. We're somehow just hardwired, like height or shoe size. You love me, come on. Or automatically absorbed from the culture, like language. As if how we construct meaning were not actually a matter of personal, intentional choice. Plus, there's the matter of arrogance. The non-religious guy is so totally certain in his dismissal of the possibility that the passing Eskimos had anything to do with his prayer for help. True, there are plenty of religious people who seem arrogantly certain of their own interpretations, too. They're probably even more repulsive than atheists, at least to most of us. But religious dogmatist problem is exactly the same as the story's unbeliever, blind certainty a close-mindedness that amounts to an imprisonment so total that the prisoner doesn't even know he's locked up. The point here is that I think this is one part of what teaching me how to think is really supposed to mean, to be just a little less arrogant, to have just a little critical awareness about myself and my certainties, because a huge percentage of the stuff that I tend to be automatically certain of is, it turns out, totally wrong and deluded. So at this point, I I was wondering how he felt about Infinite Jest at this moment in his life mm. because I never thought of what he thought about it. He's afterwards. I mean because he's talking about like being like basically intellectual arrogance. Yeah, and that's what that book is. I don't. There are some people there are some people who find that book very very human and relatable and I think those people are robots. I actually have in my notes here that it wasn't anything good just like oh there's a good Mr. Bungle song called None of Them Knew They Were Robots that me and Dalton talked about that band last week but I don't I don't understand what anybody how it's anything but arrogant yeah and the other thing that's weird about that is he he speaks to critical awareness and I, I feel like a lot of the people I've met who like this book hold it beyond criticism right not not all of them I know that because I've talked to the listeners of this podcast and aside from like three or four of you who fucking hate me and think I'm spitting on your bandana fallen saint like yeah and of course i'm speaking only to the people i've met who who like the book you right know, this is not a generalization no um but yeah so so yeah that's that's pretty much what i have to say about that okay oh you broke it i didn't break it you, you did broke it okay here we go the hard way as i predict you graduates will too here is just one example of the total wrongness of something I tend to be automatically sure of. 
Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe. <laughs> the realest, most vivid and important person in existence. We rarely talk about this sort of natural basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us. It is our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There is no experience you have had that you are not at the absolute center of. The world as you experience it is there in front of you or behind you, to the left or right of you, on your TV or your monitor, and so on. Other people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but your own are so immediate, urgent, real. So I actually like that line enough that I wrote it down. The mm. There is no experience you have had that you are not at the absolute center of, of um, other people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but your own are so immediate, urgent, and real. It's something that I feel that people kind of instinctually know, but maybe don't um, actually consciously internalize. I, I believe in philosophy, it's known as the problem of other minds, which is, it's just the annoying, like you're literally, every single person is just kind of, they're taking it as a, for granted, because they can't really prove it, that other people think and feel things, because there's, there's no way I can feel your pain or pleasure, or, uh, or or think your thoughts. like, And I think Kurt Vonnegut, which I was going to mention anyway, because I feel like I like this best of his things, because I feel like he's definitely channeling a big Kurt Vonnegut-type thing, like I trying agree. to drop a little wisdom, and I like that. But uh, Kurt Vonnegut has an entire book, Breakfast Champions, where the entire thing is the the protagonist becomes convinced that every, he is the only thinking, uh, living creature in the world and everyone else is robots. Well, and since you bring up Vonnegut, I will say that, like, he is one of my favorite authors and I consider him to be, like, I consider um, DFW to be adjacent mm -hmm. to him in a way. So it's definitely more of the issue with how he presents the information than who he is right and uh, at least speaking for me personally i i tend to like older things and Agreed. that might be some uh, you agree that i like older things well, that i like older things <laughs> um but yeah i think that is that is the most charitable i'll be well I, even charitable puts me in a place of arrogance as it isn't what i mean i mean part of the reason i don't think i really get the appeal of the David Foster Wallace thing is because I always read older books. Like, you know, I, I was uh, talking about reading Brothers Karamazov. That was written, like, in Russia at the exact same time period as the American Civil War. And I love it. And even Kurt Vonnegut was back in, like, the 60s or anything, which one of the things I've derisively said is uh, David Foster Wallace never said anything clever and original that wasn't already said by Kurt Vonnegut or Tom Waits which is my own bullshit because even I know Tom Waits is kind of dumb like I, you should know I've made you listen to him you don't care for him that much yeah he's growing on me but uh it, but I, I don't think I don't I, I I've said that being hyperbolic to kind of damn him because again I've jokingly said my goal with this podcast is to show the pale king has no clothes but that's you know that's bullshit. It's just somebody somebody else got to me sooner, you know, to say like some people found Guns N' Roses. I love Guns N' Roses, but 
Aerosmith got me a decade and a half prior by with the original, you know, they had the original untranslated text of what Guns N' Roses was trying to do. Well, that's the thing I always wonder with um, Infinite Jest, too, is if part of me would, if not like it, at least be more willing to appreciate it if it was about 700 pages shorter. There is a great 350-page novel hiding in that 1,100-page paperweight. Yeah, and... I mean, it's kind of like the Twin Peaks thing when we were watching season three where it was like, okay, trim the fat to get to the point. And it's just so hard to get to the point in this Mm -hmm. when you have to like swim through all this intellectual prose that doesn't really feel like authentic. Like, I like pretentious shit. This just isn't my kind of pretentious shit. It does it, it. to, to steal a Kurt Metzger quote, I am not charmed by your whimsy. I, I, I see the strings of what you're trying to do. But, okay. You know, I was getting a little worried that this might be too long, but we're actually, we're a quarter of the way through. So I think, um, uh, yeah, I think we'll do good. Please don't worry that I'm getting ready to lecture you about compassion or other directedness or all the so-called virtues. This is not a matter of virtue. It's a matter of my choosing to do the work of somehow altering or getting free of my natural hardwired default setting, which is to be deeply and literally self-centered and to see and interpret everything through this lens of self. People who can adjust their natural default setting this way are often described as being well-adjusted, which I suggest to you is not an accidental term. Given the triumphant academic setting here, an obvious question is how much of this work of adjusting our default setting involves actual knowledge or intellect. This question gets very tricky. Probably the most dangerous thing about an academic education, at least in my own case, is that it enables my tendency to over-intellectualize stuff, to get lost in abstract arguments inside my head instead of simply paying attention to what's going on right in front of me. Yeah, that's pretty much what plays out in that book. Yeah, well, you know what? I think that is a a very, uh, I I think that is like the common complaint about academia these days is it's all theoretical horseshit that like is so far removed from anything in reality that it's like you might as well, for how much is actually being accomplished, you might as well be playing Battleship for how applicable it is to the real world. Oh, yeah. It's an academic bubble. And that's actually a note I made when listening to this is that's who he's speaking to. It's so strange that it's is he it does he not realize he's speaking from inside the bubble that he's like looking in a mirror kind of it's it. I, I, I think I think we're catching him on a good optimistic day where he probably didn't mentally align himself with that as much. So I don't I don't really know how he was towards the end of his life. Um, but I do wonder because what? Well, Infinite Jest was written in 96. 96. Actually, and this, l- looking into it, just to give a little bit of the context, he had been on a medication for depression for years and years and years. Then finally, he was having stomach issues from it. He's like, all right, I'm going to try to get off it and find something better. He got off it, tried to find something better. Nothing really worked. And then when he tried to go back on the original medication, it wasn't working for him anymore. It's actually really fucking tragic. So um, so part of me wonders because this speech was delivered nine years later mm-hmm. if like he's 
speaking to his younger self right. it's, who it's, wrote this. It's also tricky because aside from his essays, like we don't – he only had one other novel after this and he never finished it. Right. So it's kind of like – it's not like with, uh, not to go back to Vonnegut a million times, but like he was so prolific that you kind of like, you get a narrative arc of like, oh, here's where Kurt was around this time and how he was thinking and feeling about things. Well, and not for nothing, but it also makes you a little bit more, um, not sympathetic, but uh, um, you're more forgiving with his bad shit, with Vonnegut. Because there's just so much more. Right. So, like, when he had a stumble, it was kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't like this book, but I like five of his other books. Mm -hmm. With this, you – well, with this. With um, DFW, you kind of only get a few shots. Yeah. Yeah. There's not there's not a whole lot of snapshots in there, especially since his essays were – like, they, they were his style, but they weren't about himself and his thoughts. They were in there. I need to read uh, – brief interviews with hideous men because i've heard that's really good that's closer to not a novel but like a short collection of essays but it but it's very it, he wasn't like you know writing for somebody else he was writing his own thoughts and it was fiction right so and i've heard that that actually is very uh revelatory about where his headspace was at the time and i, th I think that was like six seven years after infant jess I, I have no fucking idea i don't know all right sorry let's get back to it inside me as I'm sure you guys know by now it is extremely difficult to stay alert and attentive instead of getting hypnotized by the constant monologue inside your own head maybe happening right now <laughs> 20 years after my own graduation I have come gradually to understand that the liberal arts cliche about teaching you how to think is actually shorthand for a much deeper more serious idea learning how to think really means learning how to exercise some control over how and what you think. It means being conscious and aware enough to choose what you pay attention to and to choose how you construct meaning from experience. Because if you cannot exercise this kind of choice in adult life, you will be totally hosed. Think of the old cliche about, quote, the mind being an excellent servant but a terrible master. This, like many cliches, so lame and unexciting on the surface, actually expresses a great and terrible truth. It is not the least bit coincidental that adults who commit suicide with firearms almost always shoot themselves in the head. They shoot the terrible master. And the so that line was odd to me for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I... I mean, for someone who hung himself towards the end, is he just philosophizing the idea of shooting yourself in the head is to is to get rid of the master and not just the quickest way to kill yourself? Right. That one's a little I I I don't know what to make of that. He he could have not been a gun guy. Actually, come to think of it, like hangings are really on the rise the last few decades. I don't know I know several people who have hung themselves. I do not know of a single person I'm aware of who shot themselves. Well, and it's not even, I mean, part of it is, yes, I think it's interesting that he had this comment about suicide and then took it an alternate, alternate approach. But um, part of it for me is that I don't think people are thinking like that when they shoot themselves in the head. They might be, but I think mm -hmm. he's drawing a conclusion where 
he doesn't really know. Mm-hmm. It's almost like romanticizing it. As I, 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 I understand the point he's trying to make. I don't think it has quite as much to do with suicide as opposed to, as opposed to the brain being an unreliable like uh, CEO. I mean, of, of the mind. I agree with you, except we're also talking about a man who three years later committed suicide. Right. This isn't just like he's he's thinking of like he's not just like theorizing on it. He then goes on to actually do it. And uh-huh. so I think it is hard to brush it off as just like, oh, this is a metaphor, um, especially because it was so soon after that he did it. Not to mention, I do think. Bringing up suicide in general in a... Uh, it's, a it's a little gauche for a commencement it's a, Yeah, it's a little... It's a little iffy. Yeah, I had a thought. Like, I would love to know suicide statistics by political uh, categorization. Because you got to think about it. Liberals must hang themselves more. Conservatives must shoot themselves more. Interesting. The Green Party must drown themselves more. Like... <laughs> Yeah. I could see a hippie being like, you know, I just want to jump in the water from really high. Yep. It's like I'm in nature. I don't know. I think we're getting off the... I, I What I'm getting at <laughs> is, you know, good. all the suicides I knew were liberal, which is why they hung themselves. Mm. That's what I'm getting at. Your there. small your small little pool. My small little pool that nobody's drowned in yet. Don't know any drowns. Yeah, well, that's good. I got to I gotta open up my, my friend base a well, little bit. Well, this is bit. water. I'm, I'm missing... Hey oh all right. I love you, babe. I know. Suicides are actually dead long before they pull the trigger. And I submit that this is what the real no bullshit value of your liberal arts education is supposed to be about. How to keep from going through your comfortable, prosperous, respectable adult life dead, unconscious, a slave to your head and to your natural default setting of being uniquely completely, imperially alone, day in and day out. That may sound like hyperbole or abstract nonsense. Let's get concrete. The plain fact is that you graduating seniors do not yet have any clue what day in, day out really means. (laughs) There happen to be whole large parts of adult American life that nobody talks about in commencement speeches. One such part involves boredom, routine, and petty frustration. The parents and older folks here will know all too well what I'm talking about. By way of example, let's say it's an average adult day and you get up in the morning, go to your challenging white-collar college graduate job, and you work hard for eight or ten hours, and at the end of the day you're tired and somewhat stressed, and all you want is to go home and have a good supper and maybe unwind for an hour and then hit the sack early, because of course you have to get up the next day and do it all again. But then you remember there's no food at home. You haven't had time to shop this week because of your challenging job. And so now, after work, you have to get in your car and drive to the supermarket. It's the end of a work day, and the traffic is apt to be very bad. So getting to the store takes way longer than it should. And when you finally get there, the supermarket is very crowded because, of course, it's the time of day when all the other people with jobs also try to squeeze in some grocery shopping. Yeah, isn't that when you do that whole, like, babe, let's get a pizza thing? 
Just just want to make sure. Yeah, you should. Like, babe, the, <laughs> babe, the, 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 the machinations of daily nine to five grind are getting to me today. And uh, I I am choosing to think about pizza. Like, that's right really what I want to tell college students is there's a way to avoid all of this. And you already know how. That's right. It's fucking pizza. Pizza is the way and the light and the stuffed crust. Press play. I could go for some crust pizza, stuffed crust pizza. And infused with soul-killing Muzak or corporate pop. And it's pretty much the last place you want to be. But you can't just get in and quickly out. You have to wander all over the huge, overlit stores, confusing aisles to find the stuff you want. And you have to maneuver your junkie cart through all these other tired, hurried people with carts. Et cetera, et cetera, cutting stuff out because it's a long ceremony. And eventually... God damn it, do your editing, DFW. Except now it turns out there aren't enough checkout lanes open, even though it's the end of the day rush. So the checkout line is incredibly long, which is stupid and infuriating. But you can't take your frustration out on the frantic lady working the register, who is overworked at a job whose daily tedium and meaninglessness surpasses the imagination of any of us here at a prestigious college. Again, DFW uh, oh looks God. down on the middle cl- working class. Uh, that really, that line really did grind my gears. Not to quote Peter Griffin or anything, but mm. uh, like, so fucking pretentious. Like, without even meaning to he be. Does, he That's the know worst he's doing part. It. That's the worst part is he doesn't even realize he's doing it. He doesn't even realize he lives in this bubble. He doesn't realize he's speaking to other people who are in this bubble, all while he's acknowledging the bubble. Mm-hmm. That's what's so crazy to me. And I know he's going to say in a few seconds that it's like, well, it's important to, you know, realize where everyone's coming from. But he's not applying that to the lady working there. He's applying it to everybody else. Yeah. The lady working there is just some dumb shit who didn't, you know, get a degree in fucking middle age armor smelting or whatever. And so she's got to fucking ring ring this jerk off up. Wouldn't he be bummed out to see us now with the economy in a slump and, you know, people with doctorate degrees working as cashiers? I uh, mean, seriously. Imagine how they feel. And they didn't even waste their money at a liberal arts college. I mean, this guy didn't even get to the millennials growing up. He doesn't even know what's coming. Don't even know. Pay for your food and get told to have a nice day in a voice that is the absolute voice of death. Oh, how God! How dare she do her job? I'm just saying that if I were in her position, I would just go home for several years and live off my uh, parents, who are philosophy uh, professors, and then you know. That's how you get out of a supermarket. You know what? I'm sticking with my pizza solution because it helps the lady at the supermarket, too, because she doesn't have to deal with you assholes after work. Yeah. Crazy wheel that pulls maddeningly to the left <laughs> all the way out through the crowded, bumpy, littery parking lot, and then you have to drive all the way home through slow, heavy, SUV-intensive rush hour traffic, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Everyone here has done this, of course. But it hasn't yet been part of you graduates' actual life routine, day after week, after month, after year. But it will be. (laughs) And many more dreary, annoying, seemingly meaningless routines besides. But that is not the point. The point is that petty, frustrating crap like this is exactly where the work of choosing is going to come in. Because the traffic jams and crowded aisles and long checkout lines give me time to think. And if I don't make a conscious decision about how to think and what to pay attention to, I'm going to be pissed and miserable every time I have to shop. 
because my natural default setting is the certainty that situations like this are really all about me, about my hungriness and my fatigue and my desire to just get home. And it's going to seem for all the world like everybody else is just in my way. And who are all these people in my way? And look at how repulsive most of them are and how stupid and cow-like and dead-eyed and non-human they seem in the checkout line. Or at how annoying and rude it is that people are talking loudly on cell phones in the middle of the line. And look at how deeply, personally unfair this is. Or, of course, if I'm in a more socially conscious liberal arts form of my default setting, I can spend time in the end of the day traffic being disgusted about all the huge, stupid, lane-blocking SUVs and Hummers and V12 pickup trucks burning their wasteful, selfish 40-gallon tanks of gas. And I can dwell on the fact that the patriotic or religious bumper stickers always seem to be on the biggest, most disgustingly selfish vehicles <laughs> driven by the ugliest... Oh, okay. if he'd only made it to 2016. Oh my God, all of that. Well, first of all, I'm guilty of that too. Does that mean I'm in a liberal arts bubble? Maybe. But I think it's hilarious, and he points this out right after this, um, the fact that all these people are like applauding him, and he's like, no, no, this is how not to think. Right. But it's so innate in us to think like that, that people are like, yeah, you get it, man. Well, you and I had that yesterday. We were caught in a big traffic jam for 4th of July. And then there were the people who kept going up over the side of the road. The, the, what the fuck's the side of the road called? The shoulder. The shoulder. That's why I love you. The shoulder. And they were all going up there. And you could tell it was very much like with the impulse of, this is so unfair this is happening to me. Fuck this. And then I'm in the car going, fuck them. They shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, I thought of for several seconds, like, maybe they know something I don't. Yeah, they do. It's that they can cut people off further on down the line mm-hmm. and make this traffic last longer. Yeah. But, I mean... I do think it's funny that everyone is kind of missing his point with all of this anyway. I I will say, though, one of the major things that saves me from this during the day, like when it comes to shopping, just having headphones in, again, infinite entertainment. Isn't it just like infinite jest? You can say that about fucking anything. But but yeah, just having headphones in, I can just like, I'm not bothered by anybody and just, you know, slipping and slapping through the grocery store. Don't care. Hey, where's this? Okay, buddy. Fine. Because I don't have to look at everybody. And he's right. People in grocery stores are ugly. And it's in a- general. What? No matter what? Yes. What well, sounds crazy, but like, I mean, 2005 was a much different world than it is now. And yeah, it is pretty much. Yeah, now like- we're in a world that's much more like infinite jest. Yeah. There's entertainment everywhere. Yeah. You're listening to it now. Isn't this just like infinite jest? Sorry. Maybe even while you're grocery shopping. Wow. Comes full circle, baby. Really makes you think. See, this is an example of how not to think. <laughs> Biggest, most disgustingly selfish vehicles driven by the ugliest, most inconsiderate and aggressive drivers. And I can think about how our children's children will despise us for wasting all the future's fuel yep. and probably screwing up the climate mm-hmm. and how spoiled and stupid and selfish and disgusting we are. Mm-hmm. Amen. Consumer, consumer society just sucks and so on and so forth. It's like he you knew what was idea. coming. You go, baby. Think this way in the store and on the freeway. Fine. Lots of us do. 
Except thinking this way tends to be so easy and automatic that it doesn't have to be a choice. It is my natural default. Okay, 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 okay. I just need to present it like this. Uh, I have a friend, Dorian Vasquez, very, very funny comic. Check him out. Shout he, out. He, he, has, he has a bit about how uh, just older black ladies talking to you is just the best thing for your self-esteem. Just And not to do a big one, like, yeah, you go on, baby. And I just had the thought, like, oh, my God, I would give anything to hear him give this speech to, like, a mostly urban audience and just hear their reaction to it. It would be uh, – it, it would warm my soul. Like, you and I were just going there, like, uh-huh, that's right, fucking say it. That's okay. You have a job to worry about. You don't have to agree with anything I say. But, God, that would be such – that would be art. I mean, delivered to a different audience definitely would get a different response to this. Mm -hmm. Again, he's speaking to his own bubble. Right, he's speaking to his people. It's the automatic way that I experience the boring, frustrating, crowded parts of adult life when I'm operating on the automatic, unconscious belief that I am the center of the world and that my immediate needs and feelings are what should determine the world's priorities. The thing is that, of course, there are totally different ways to think about these kinds of situations. In this traffic, all these vehicles stuck and idling in my way, it's not impossible that some of these people in SUVs have been in horrible auto accidents in the past and now find driving so terrifying that their therapist has all but ordered them to get a huge, heavy SUV so they can feel safe enough to drive. Or that the Hummer that just cut me off is maybe being driven by a father whose little child is hurt or sick in the seat next to him and he's trying to get this kid to the hospital and he's in a way bigger, more legitimate hurry than I am. It is actually I who am in his way. Or I can choose to force myself to consider the likelihood that everyone else in the supermarket's checkout line is just as bored and frustrated as I am and that some of these people probably have much harder, more tedious or painful lives than I do. Again, please don't think I'm giving you moral advice or that I'm saying you're supposed to think this way or that anyone expects you to just automatically do it because it's hard. It takes will and effort. And if you are like me, some days you won't be able to do it or you just flat out won't want to. But most days, if you're aware enough to give yourself a choice, you can choose to look differently at this fat, dead-eyed, over-made-up lady who just screamed at her kid in the checkout line. Maybe she's not usually like this. Maybe she's thinner from time to time. Yeah, really. Or or maybe we should just turn a blind eye when she's arguably emotionally abusing her child. It might just be a bad day. <laughs> well, if we know one thing right now, there's a whole lot of white ladies having a bad day getting caught on film suddenly. It's yeah. A, it's an epidemic to rival it, COVID. It really is. The, but the like, they're not normally like that. Yeah. Oh God! By the way, it's I'm not. We're not saying we're above any of this. I I am concurring while also like yeah. A lot of times people are just shitty though. Hey, I mean, I said I did the thing about call making judgments on people based on their cars they drive. That's what happens when you drive 45 minutes to and from work every day. Uh, well, you you maintain that anybody who has ever rude to you on the road has only looked at your New Jersey tag and just hates you and you're born to run ass oh yeah ruining the highway for everyone oh yeah but you're also leaving out the fact that i drive pa from philly to bucks 95 every day and that is a hundred percent you true. haven't done that in four months you yeah before like that i did yesterday. it for a year and a half yeah, th- ah. 
I didn't point it out yesterday. I know. I'm, jo- I'm joking. Don't but be an it, asshole. But the fact that you haven't done it in like four months because we've been working from home. So. Yeah. Well. It could been... completely discounts everything I experienced up until then. I, I'm, and well, you know I'm glad why you're people, big enough to wait, admit that. You know why I know people do that? Because I fucking do that even with my jersey plates. Mm-hmm. I, I do that with elderly people. Well. Every time. Well. And an only now. elderly people. Let's play again and not finish this thought. And her husband who's dying of bone cancer. Or maybe this very lady is the low-wage clerk at the motor vehicles department who just yesterday helped your spouse resolve a horrific, infuriating red tape problem through some small act of bureaucratic kindness. Of course, none of this is likely, but it's also not impossible. It just depends what you want to consider. If you're automatically sure that you know what reality is and who and what is really important, if you want to operate on your default setting, then you, like me, probably won't consider possibilities that aren't annoying and miserable. But if you've really learned how to think, how to pay attention, then you will know you have other options. I mean, I just thought of this, but kind of fuck this guy anyway, because (laughs) (laughs) he's saying like, oh, you know, you're going to be taught to think like this in college. Oh, so if you don't go to college, you can't be you're not able to have any empathy towards other people. Nope. You end up at, you end up at <laughs> the cash why, register saying, is, have a nice day. This is why people end up in thousands of dollars of student loans is to be taught how to think and fuck all the other people who didn't go to college and didn't learn how to think. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. intellectualism at its finest. That's what this is. Be within your power to experience a crowded, hot, slow, consumer hell-type situation as not only meaningful, but sacred, on fire with the same force that lit the stars. Love, fellowship, the mystical oneness of all things deep down. Not that that mystical stuff's necessarily true. The only thing that's capital T true is that you get to decide how you're going to try to see it. This, I submit, is the freedom of real education of learning how to be well-adjusted. You get to consciously decide what has meaning and what doesn't. You get to decide what to worship. Because here's something else that's weird but true in the day-to-day trenches of adult life. Weird but true. thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And a compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, 
being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Hmm. Didn't work out too well. Telling. I know I'm not wearing a shirt. That's why I'm tugging an imaginary collar right now. Oh, boy. I would like to know what he thinks is um, beneficial to worship then. Does he get to that here? I don't think so. It's We're, we're razzing on it, but this is my favorite part of the entire thing. But It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom all to be lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms, alone at the center of all creation. This kind of freedom has much to recommend it. But of course, there are all different kinds of freedom. And the kind that is most precious, you will not hear much talked about much in the great outside world of wanting and achieving and displaying. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline, and being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad, petty, little, unsexy ways every day. That is real freedom. That is being educated and understanding how to think. The alternative is unconsciousness, the default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. I know that this stuff probably doesn't sound fun and breezy or grandly inspirational the way a commencement speech is supposed to sound. What it is, as far as I can see, is the capital T truth with a whole lot of rhetorical niceties stripped away. You are, of course, free to think of it whatever you wish. But please don't just dismiss it as some finger-wagging Dr. Laura sermon. None of this stuff is really about morality or religion or dogma or big fancy questions of life after death. The capital T truth is about life before death. It is about the real value of a real education, which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness. Awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time, that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water, this is water. It is unimaginably hard to do this, to stay conscious and alive in the adult world day in and day out. Which means yet another grand cliche turns out to be true. Your education really is the job of a lifetime. And it commences now. I wish you way more than luck. All right. That was water. That was this is water. What did I say? That was water. It was water. If it's not water, what else was it? Come on. I Use your fucking brain, Perry. God. So, um, I will say, because we had planned to do this a little differently initially. Right. Initially, we were just going to, uh, we weren't going to play any of the clips. We were just going to discuss it, but 
the fact the fact that it's so short this is the only opportunity i would have the, the fact that it's so short and it's a initial presentation was as a recorded commencement speech i wanted to take advantage of that while i could okay well the only point i was going to make is i'm curious how i would have felt if i had just listened to it um for the first time now Mm. versus like taking notes and trying to like go back and see how i felt about it because i definitely felt differently each time i listened to it Mm -hmm. um and part of it was um, the first time I mainly listened and I didn't read along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and delivery is everything for me in those regards. And it was almost hard to get past his intellectualism uh-huh. um, in his delivery. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I wonder how I would have felt. I mean... Full disclosure, I did not go to my graduation from college because... Um, you're, t- you're too good for it. Well, yeah. Well, I graduated early and I wasn't walking with my... Well, well, well. Yeah, talk about intellectualism now. No, and I wasn't walking with my class because that would have required me coming back and I wasn't going to walk with a class I wasn't a part of. So, but, so I'm not sure, really sure what people are supposed to take away from commencement speeches. Um but I, I feel like I would have left college feeling way differently if this was the end of my college career hmm. after hearing this. Okay. Um, For context, a lot of my friends went to Temple, which means they graduated with Bill Cosby giving the commencement speech. Yikes. So imagine how they feel. Yikes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think it's in a way could be discouraging Mm -hmm. where it's like I think most people leave college worried about whether they made the right decision because they're faced with all this debt all of a sudden Mm -hmm. and especially in our generation um where a lot of people aren't doing things that they went to school for um and I wonder if that that would have been like why why did I even do this Mm -hmm. you know like I mean, maybe I'm I'm giving him too much credit, but I mean, I, I know when I went to school for journalism, I was told by a professor, oh, you know, journalism's pretty much dead. And really what it was, I went to school in 08. So it's really just that journalism evol- was still evolving and figuring out its place. They in. They hadn't figured out they were just going to become uh, click digital bait. clickbait or clickbait. But regardless, they were trying to find their way in the world still. But I definitely started out discouraged being like, oh, all I ever wanted to do was be a journalist. And now I'm entering school and being told, oh, well, you're not really going to get to do that. And if you do, you're going to make $20,000 and you'll be happy doing that. Mm. That's kind of how I felt listening to this. (laughs) Well, at least I know how to think. Yeah. You can walk away with that. Yeah, I didn't, I, again, I didn't have any, I, I got an associate's, so I didn't really have a commencement speech kind of thing and i if i did i don't remember any aspect of it but again i do think there's this is a good kind of thing i feel like a lot of college kids uh again for me you know i was working you know i was fucking roofing in summers since i was 13 and uh so by the time i got out of high school i i already felt very adult 
But a lot of people, particularly people who go straight from high school to college, they just, there's, that's a very interesting age for like friendships and dating because it tends to be a period where a lot of people are growing up and a lot of people are absolutely not. And I feel like if you're from the lower working class background, I am going to colleges, you're kind of growing up a little bit. But if you're in the sort of scenario where everybody is going to college, it's a little bit of like, it's just still high, it's high school only with more fucking and drugs. So they, so what I'm saying is I could see many of these kids actually getting something really important out of this that maybe they hadn't considered or thought of, particularly if they're on the cusp of not just wondering if they wasted their money, but going into the real world. Well, here's the thing about that particular speech too. And I mean, he speaks to it by constantly repeating the phrase liberal arts but he'd really only be able to get away with that at certain schools like there are schools he could not deliver that speech at with success Mm -hmm. i mean you brought up temple and i don't see that speech going over well in in temple where is kenyon i have no idea where ohio i looked this up uh, he's a midwest boy i mean it's it's very it's very clearly a um predominantly upper middle class white school Mm -hmm. and I think that's where you would get away with giving a speech like this Mm -hmm. they're they're different out there they're not as cynical as we are I mean I guess they're worse than us is what I'm getting at (laughs) I guess that's one respect but um no I just don't think a school in a city would have quite the same Mm -hmm. um Get quite the same thing out of this, right? I did. I, I could not see him giving that speech at like a historically black college, like Morehouse or, or something like, like that. Like I said, even like a city college, mm-hmm. you know, where so, it's still again anything of David Foster Wallace. He is somebody who clearly very much speaks to his own people. Well, and I guess that was that's really what my point is with all of that is that this is still targeting a certain group and still devoured by a certain group. Right. I keep thinking of that joke of Dorian's and if he had just given that speech to a bunch of middle-aged black ladies at an urban after an urban Sunday mass the encouragement he would have gotten, I don't think he would have ever killed himself. I think he would have written 50 books cuz he would have felt so good about himself. Um, that car agrees with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. You don't. I, you don't have to. Resp- that's not a serious thought. No, I know. To- but I'm. I'm trying to get away from your usage of urban and pretending that's. I'm trying to. Not- <laughs> no. I'm, just I'm, stop. I'm no. To, that, no. That, that's the. No. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Just end that. Um, okay. Only white people listen to this podcast. They they don't, you know, cancel people for no reason. <laughs> if you're going to call me out for my jersey, <laughs> for thinking people are being biased against me for my jersey plates, I'll call you out. Listen, I'm unemployed. I have nothing I have nothing to protect. I am only here to protect you and your reputation. <laughs> I do not need my reputation protected. I appreciate it. Though. Okay, okay. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, in the end, this is this is just still directed towards specific people, and but it's 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 fine for who it's directed at. Yeah, and, and again, even me listening it is like I'm 
well past college graduation age, but I still got something out of it. Like, okay, this was good. I, I like this. I like the message he's putting out there. Just be aware of yourself. Don't be a dickhead. Every, every, every mechanism in your body is telling you you're the only thing that is important. And well, one of the notes I had here, I actually related to that as somebody who has a bad anxiety disorder. Like, I am somebody, I had to learn to not trust my instincts and what my body tells me. Because what my body tells me a lot of the time is, if you don't get to safety, you're going to die right now. Look, all it comes down to for me is I don't think I like this as a commencement speech. Okay. I, I don't think I like the context of it. I think if it was an essay, I could... On, on a scale of 1 to 10 as a commencement speech. Why? Well, I don't know. Okay, maybe this, I know people, maybe, maybe this I know will help this you. 1 tar- being the worst, 10 being the best. Well, no, I know. I know a lot of people like will, will say this is like one of the best commencement speeches ever. And I... I'm in that genre. In that genre. Um and it's not that I don't even think it's a good speech. I just don't know that like it's a I don't know. I think certain messages were really good and I think taking yourself out of your quote unquote self and seeing that the world does not revolve around you. To to, is, to, to put it in an even better quote, somebody who said it even better. Don't surround yourself with yourself. Move on back to square. Send an instant. Co- I, fuck! I should know those lyrics. It's yes. It's it's yes. Yeah. That's what I'm getting. I'm at. watching you, Starwell. Prog rock is what this is about. Um. <laughs> but no. Because it's time. It's I time. Really, it's yours. I hate when you cut me off and it's then I don't remember what I was saying. For the queen to use. I'm done. You're welcome for putting that on the other day, by the way. But it, but it, but it's clearly in my head. I know. <laughs> but now I don't remember what I was saying. Listen to Yes. Um, you were saying it, it, it didn't seem like a great, but it, it was good to get out of your own head. Oh, so I think that part of the message was good, but I do think he's like waxing poetic at like these recent graduates of like, like I said, where it's like, oh, like this is why you go to college. That was that was really the part that didn't sit well with me. Mm. I think he could have said all of that without being like, this is what liberal arts college teaches you. Because mm. like I said, it also implies that like, oh, this is, you can only get this in a liberal arts college setting. Right, exactly. Maybe, maybe you could have just been, you know, you could have gone and lived a little bit, but well, thanks for the money. Here's here's what you got here. You could have you could have traveled to Europe for a few months and learned everything I have. Well, and that's the irony of like higher academics is it is a very sheltered space. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it it kind of encourages people to feel that even more. Mm-hmm. Um it's very exclusive. Well, I, 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 I feel like people it's kind of that thing where it's like, well, you know, it's in for a penny, in for a pound. Like, well, I need to justify this to myself. Otherwise, it's all been a waste. And I don't know if I can live with the fact that I just fucking wasted four fucking years. Right. So. So, overall, yes, I like the message. Um, it's definitely not the wor- worst of DFW's um, things that he's written. Um but yeah, overall, just like tone problems for me. Okay, I I, I need you to read one or two things because, like I said, this is in like the upper echelon of things I've read uh, by him that I liked. I like 
maybe I'll have you back on for Mary Austin because that's a good essay that's only like tangentially about himself, but uh, it's it's pretty pretty good. Right. Well, and I mean, not to mention, you know, I'm better with written word than than speeches too. Exactly. So that's why, like, watching it or listening to it and reading it was really important to me because honestly, if I just heard this man speaking this, I would have just like been like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. So. Okay. All right. Well, I think that is it for uh, this is water. Thanks again to my guest. Perry Lerner, who I love so, so much. Oh, God. I love you, baby. Yeah, love you, too. Thank you for having me on. This was a very far journey from the bedroom to the couch. It was. Um, So I would like to be paid for my miles, we should, we please. Should get, we should get ice cream. I'll pay you an ice cream. You'll pay me an ice cream? Yeah. Sweet. I'll yeah. take that deal. You know what? I'm just a little curious. I, I want to see what the next video on YouTube is that uh, came up next after that. I'm, I'm curious. Let's let, Let's see what it is. Oh shit, it's the book they call Infinite Jest. It's the book that Epis is just alright. It's the book that's called Infinite Jest. You know you won't finish your first time. Infinite Jest! Infinite Jest! Infinite Jest! Read footnote 304 for more context. Ah, thank you for listening to Footnote 1. Bye.